Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by Litbreaker. It's an advertising network online. It's a way to reach people who like books, movies, music, art, photography, you name it. If you want to reach those kinds of people, go to litbreaker.com. You can advertise on sites like The Nervous Breakdown, The Rumpus, The Paris Review, Large Hearted Boy, Full Stop, the list goes on. Litbreaker.com. It's an advertising network. Go and advertise on it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. All right, right everybody, here right. we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is me over here doing whatever I'm doing. This is you over there doing whatever you're doing. How's it going out there? I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. Uh, my guest today is Chet Wisey. He is the editor and co-founder of Third Man Books over there in Nashville, Tennessee. Third Man Books is the publishing imprint of Third Man Records, which was founded by Jack White, a musician, rock star, member of the White Stripes, and so on. Uh, Chet Wisey, also an accomplished musician. Uh, many of you may know his work from the immortal Lee County Killers, a blues band, uh, punk blues. So, uh, Chet Wisey in just a moment. Before we get started, I do have some mail. I have a letter here uh, first from a listener named Keegan who writes, Dear Brad, I'm curious about two things. First, what is your opinion on this new David Foster Wallace film coming out called End of the Tour? I know you're a DFW fan, but do you think the entire idea of an indie Sundance movie would make David cringe? So I'll stop here and answer this question. Um, I don't have an opinion. I don't care. It's fine. David Foster Wallace was a public figure and an important one. Uh, that's part of the bargain. Especially post-mortem. Eventually a movie gets made about all of these people. Would it make him cringe? Probably. I think it would make anybody cringe. Can you imagine seeing a biopic of your own life? Who would like that? If you if you like it, something's probably wrong with you. If you could sit through a, a biopic about yourself in a movie theater without cringing, probably mentally ill.
I read the book that the movie's based on. Good move. Uh, it's a good book. And the uh, early reviews, I haven't read a ton, but the early reviews on the uh, the film, End of the Tour, is supposedly good. Jason Siegel pulls it off, apparently. So who knows? I'll see it. So, uh, Keegan's letter continues. Secondly, I love when you ask authors what books they read growing up. Would you ever make it a more common part of the show? I'm always getting book recommendations from other writers. Maybe you could do a top five books from each author. Maybe that would be too gimmicky. I don't know. All I know is I love your show. So keep on keeping on. Please read this letter out loud on an episode. You would make my mom a happy woman. Best. Keegan. So there you go, Keegan's mom. I hope you're happy. I hope you're proud. Um, yeah, about the favorite books, that's a good idea. I mean, I just, I don't know if I'm organized enough mentally to remember to do that. And what I find when it comes to listicles, or I shouldn't say listicles because that implies a written list. When it comes to asking people to list things, especially listing favorites, those are kind of difficult questions that usually make people draw a blank. So I would have to ask them ahead of time to come up with that. I don't know if I'm capable of that kind of advanced organization. <laughs> That's too much. But I'll try to remember it in the flow of conversation. I, I you know, I do like to know, and I find that it's, you know, it's often the best way to uh, find new books. You read something you like, you find out, you know, who that author likes. So on and so forth. So I have another letter. This one comes from a listener named Clay. He writes, Dear Brad, I've thought about writing to you a few times before, as I think we have a similar take on most issues. Uh, but your talk at the beginning of a recent podcast episode made me decide to go ahead. I just sold a book to FSG two months ago, a memoir covering a fairly serious car wreck I was in when my identical twin brother and I were sophomores at Sewanee in the fall of 1992. The other driver died. I was in the back seat of my friend's car and was pretty severely fucked up, worse than anyone else with us. But all of my injuries healed in time except for a torn nerve in my right shoulder. I had surgery for that torn nerve in New Orleans nine months later, and the surgeon fucked up and cut an artery, which a week later threw off a blood clot to my brainstem and made me have a stroke. Initially, I was supposed to die, then be paralyzed from my eyes down. Even more briefly, I obviously didn't. I ended up going back to Sewanee and graduating in 1997. But my memoir doesn't end there like an after-school special. The second half of the book sporadically deals with the time from then to the present day. In 2008, I started taking voice lessons with an opera singer to improve my speech, which I still do. Basically, my voice, when I could first make sound again, was very weak and smeared, very head injury-ish. That, combined with the stroke effects of my body, created a barrier around me. My book starts and ends with sections of those voice lessons, but what ties it all together is an experience I had when I was initially in the hospital after being, quote, locked in my body for two weeks and two days. Before I had read anything about other like experiences, I referred to this as, quote, a flash of liberating brilliance, and then as, quote, my willing elimination of options. 
Before I had this experience, I could appreciate intellectually that such experiences exist, but the underlying peace I have known isn't something that can be thought or transferred. I think he meant to say taught. Thought? I don't know. Being an identical twin, I'd always felt I was more than just myself, but this experience went, behind, went beyond any idea of identity or time I'd ever thought possible. At the same time, it felt perfectly natural. I've often thought of how someone that didn't go through what I did can achieve this. Meditation seems to be one of the only ways. In his essay entitled This Is It, Alan Watts says, quote, The experience has a tendency to arise in situations of total extremity or despair when the individual finds himself without any alternative but to surrender himself entirely, end quote. Surrender only came for me after personally finding no way out of my situation. I couldn't even kill myself. Surrendering was unconscious, however, which I think it has to be. I hope this helps. Take care, Clay. P.S. I'm technologically like a caveman in most ways, and because yours is one of the two podcasts I listen to, writing to you seemed right. So, thank you, Clay, and uh, I hope you're doing well. I'm glad to hear, uh, you know, your condition is improving. It sounds like you've been through a lot. And it's interesting, I, you know, I think what he's referring to, in a monologue uh, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about uh, Satori, I was talking about, uh, you know, these people who have these incredible epiphanies, like spiritual epiphanies, where their mind, like the chatter of their mind goes suddenly quiet. They reach some sort of exalted state of consciousness or being. Whereas the great majority of us have to work for it. It's a very slow, incremental pro, you know, process. So I don't know what to say. I mean, it sounds fascinating. I don't doubt it at all. It makes sense to me that you would surrender in, in a state of extremity or despair, but it kind of depresses me to think that that level of extremity or despair would be necessary in order to have that kind of uh, insight. It's like you basically have to be like the guy in the uh, Metallica video for that song one. <laughs> Uh, not to make light, but you know what I'm saying. You want a spiritual epiphany? You want a crazy breakthrough? Then you have to, uh, you have to be experiencing the depths of misery. Excruciating. I don't know what to say. I mean, what do you say? <laughs> I can't, I, I would look forward to reading your book, Clay. I'll say that. I have, you know, it's this, it's this weird thing that I have. I've talked about a little bit probably before when it comes to memoirists in particular, because memoirists, a lot of them anyway, tend to have been through some pretty serious shit. I have, uh, pain envy. It's like, oh man, this guy had a near-death experience. Got so much to write about. So much insight that I'll never have. It's a weird thing to feel. I kind of think that uh, a lot of the insight, the basic understanding, is actually fairly easy. It's living it that's a hard thing. 
It's a practice. It's like getting really good at anything, like getting good at really good at piano or something. You gotta practice. You gotta have discipline. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. All right. Well, let's get going with the show. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I did. Uh, Chet Wisey, once again, is the guest. He is the editor and co-founder of Third Man Books in Nashville, Tennessee. Here he is, folks. This is Chet YZ. When I was in the Lee County Killers, um, shared many of bills with uh, Ben Swank's group, the Soledad Brothers, who's one of the co-founders here, and uh, played uh, alongside the White Stripes, many of the same places. So we were in the... Uh, myself and Swank and Jack were all in the same music scene uh, back in those days and knew each other aware of aware of one another and, and friends. Um, when I moved to Nashville, and this was, none of this was planned. I, I was, I moved to Nashville about 10 years ago. A few years after that, uh, third man located here and Jack and Swank moved to town and uh, took us a little while to start getting back together and, and hanging out. But I, I had started doing this uh when, when I, when the Lee County Killers fell apart in Canada, we uh, wait. That's where that's fine. where that's where it fell apart. It fell apart in Vancouver, Canada. We were at the bar. Um, people got the other guys in the band were figuring out their bills. It was minutes before we were supposed to go on at a sold out show, and I was like, I thought I was thinking to myself, this isn't how. This isn't how it used to be. If it was a sold-out show, I mean, it was a small bar, so we didn't sell out the arena or anything. But still, there were people there. And I thought to myself, you know, not too long ago, we'd be so excited. But right now, we're crunching numbers to see if we're going to be able to make it through the next month or whatever. And so right before the show, we had a quick meeting. It was like, well, maybe this is the end. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. And so we played our final show. Um... The funny thing is, is that I, uh, about a year or two later, I was talking to the keyboard player. And I said, "Yeah, that last show, man. I, you know, we never really, we never really talked about it or anything." It's like, "Yeah," and I, I said, "So it was like we played that show, and then we just flew back home. And it was over." And 
he just looked at me and said, hey, we didn't fly back home. We we drove in a van all the way from Canada to to Alabama or to Nashville. Uh, I said, we did? I, I don't remember a lick of it. My, <laughs> my brain just has just erased that whole thing, that whole, you know, shell shock or whatever. It's very... Uh, very crazy how the how the body and the brain can do such a good job of defending oneself well <laughs> just, yeah just blanket out <laughs> well there's that but then also just me- my memory is so terrible there's things that i should remember that i can't like entire periods of my life like i didn't do that many drugs you know i, I my brain <laughs> my brain should be relatively intact but i just i cannot remember so much and i guess you know, the older you get and the farther away you get from uh, certain periods of your life, the harder it is to uh, recall. Though I guess some people have extraordinary recall, but I'm just not one of them. No, I, I'm, uh, every day is a new day for me. Brad. <laughs> I, I started fresh every day. I'm, I'm one step from that, what was that movie, Memento? I'm yeah. just one or two steps from there. But after that, I uh, uh, got back into writing, you know, dreaming of being high school laureate again. Um, and in Nashville, I, I didn't feel like there was an opportunity for people like me to read. And, uh, I, I, I'm very much a person who believes in, uh, that a poem has a, has, has to have a chance to live, uh, that it should not be a tree in a forest. Um, so I wanted to find a place to read my poetry for folks and to hear other people's poetry, and, and there was some stuff going around town, but not, not how I saw, how I thought it would be cool. So I started a reading series here in town, and started inviting people to come to it. And because uh, um, I, I've been with with poetry and and language, I just like I had been with rock and roll. When I started getting into it, reengaging with it, I was jumping in my car and going seeing people different places just like i used to drive to go see shows because there were no shows in auburn alabama you know i was i mean there, there were house parties and stuff but i was always driving other places to see you know other you know bands who were too too big to be playing at houses and stuff uh so i was driving around going to different readings and uh getting into different presses, which Jonica Stuckey's uh, Black Ocean Press was definitely a press that I was into at that time. So, uh, um, uh, who you interviewed uh, just recently. Um, seeing these people perform and hearing their stuff, reading their stuff, and wanted to start a series in Nashville. So started that series. It's called Poetry Sucks. And uh, the third man guys were coming to it. Um, ben Swank, who's a very good friend of mine, uh, now has been for a while. Uh, he participated in it, um, read some stuff. Actually, did a confessional, which was great. What did that? What did that involve? Trouble. Just confessing what? Like he was a uh, like a real confessional, where oh. he, was, he was confessing his bad deeds. There was some bad deeds, and there was there was a beer bottle thrown. Uh, there was an argument that occurred. Um, there was repercussions from that night going on for a long time. I was. I was putting out fires left and right. That was. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, there, there, there that resulted a, from that from that a, confession. Uh, well, like, let's let's get some details. So, what he, he confessed? What and who who threw the beer bottle? Uh, his girlfriend threw the beer bottle. It actually hit me. Um, 
his roommate was angry about some stuff. Uh, it was all it was all taken care of. It was good that we got that out there. Uh, it was all it was all taken care of, and everybody is. He is now married to his girlfriend, and they have a daughter, and everything is 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 fine. Okay, so uh, let me ask you this: with with regard yeah. to poetry, sucks. First of all, I love the name uh, for a reading series, like a poetry reading series, and then uh, you know you talked about wanting to kind of uh, do things differently or bring what you'd learned from the musical world and, you know, add an element of that to a live reading series. Like what about Poetry Sucks um, was uh, unique to you or was different from the traditional reading series that you might have been exposed to? Well, we had it in a, we had it in a, at the, the bar has changed now, but at the time uh, it was a place called Dino's. And Dino's was a smallish bar, true, true to life dive bar, um, kind of place you walk in and all pretensions, all fears, everything just instantly is dissolved in, you know, the atmosphere of the place. You know, it's the kind of place where you can order beer, but it was all eight domestic brands of beer, you know, <laughs> Bud, Bud Light, Coors, Coors Light, you know. What else do you uh, need? What more do you need, really? Right. Flipping burgers behind the, the bar. The, um, it was a smoking bar. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was the kind of bar where every, every band played their first show. Um, there's people that have parties there. They'd lock the doors late at night, keep parties going. Um, there was... Uh, you know, a five o'clock working crowd that would come in there during happy hour and hang out. Um, it was just just a wonderful, wonderful place. So it that was kind of the when I decided to do it there, and they said yes. That's when I decided to give the reading series a real try because I thought about it for a couple of years actually, where how to do it and where to do it, and I, I decided that the setting had to be right. Uh, because a lot of readings are so stiff, and uh, I didn't want this series to be stiff. I wanted people to enjoy it. Uh, so the place was important. Um, I set up the reading uh, like a lot of the concerts I played where there was reader after reader. Everybody had a set. I thought that was very important uh, so that the reader would have to pack pack a punch in a short, you know, in a short section amount of time. And well, that's the, what I was going to say. List. I was going to say, but, you know, when you talk about getting multiple readers up there, what I've found when I go to reader uh, to readings is that you don't want to give people too much time. Like, it, it, I think brevity, right. brevity is the soul of wit. Like, were you limiting people uh, up there? Or, were, like, I mean, how long were people going on? And were you able to keep people's attention? Yeah, uh, usually about five to seven minutes. Um Dino's was a perfect size so that if you, if, if a person did start talking, that there was kind of a natural pressure for people to keep it down during the, uh, during the reading. But, you know, I, but also like I carried in my own, I, I would carry in my own PA. There'd be stuff duct taped everywhere. So there was a real, real informal feeling about this, this, these, these readings. Um, and I also made sure I, I brought good poets, you know. Uh, and it wasn't just poetry either. We had 
everything. But uh, you know, if you if you put something good in front of people, they'll they'll respond. And if they didn't like someone, they knew it'd be if it wasn't their if this person, particular person wasn't a cup of tea, they knew someone else was coming up pretty soon afterwards. Uh, but but other readings do that, so I wasn't the only one who does that kind of thing. But I, I did always make sure to put uh, breaks in the set, whether it was some sort of music performing or um, or just take a break. I thought that was very important because then that gives people time to socialize, to talk about what they just heard. Um, if they see someone they want to fall in love with for the night or forever, it gives them a chance to talk to them, you know, order drinks. I thought that was very important because uh, no one wants to be trapped as if they're in church. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's a very yeah. good point. I find when I go to readings, like half the fun is getting to hang out and talk to people. Uh, yes. You, know, you, so, uh, you want to hear the performance, but you also want to, like, hang out and talk to people and meet people, and you got to give you got to give folks room to be social. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I wanted to happen, not only for people just to have a fun night, uh, but I also wanted to give other writers a chance to, to talk. Because uh, it's, it's changing a little bit now, but especially at that particular time in Nashville, there weren't places for writers to come together and uh, to share, to talk about writing, talk about their own writing or whoever they whoever they like or enjoy. You know, it, in Nashville, you can go anywhere and bring up music, and someone's going to talk to you about it. Well, they, uh, I was that gonna, dialogue uh, happens. Yeah, I was going to say because, like, you know, that this uh, poetry sucks reading series this predated Third Man Books, and right. you're, you're sort of venturing out. This is after your band had broken up. You're starting to, mm -hmm. you know, um, entertain literary uh, your literary inclinations, but you don't know exactly how it's going to be received in Nashville. And like, were you? Like, or did you? Like, were you surprised at the reception? Did you? Did it take a while to get it cooking? Like, did were people ready for it, uh, or did you have? To I, w I was absolutely surprised. Absolutely surprised. Uh, the local paper, as soon as they caught wind of it, they got behind it, wrote about it. Um, I I always knew that there was a lot of writers in town. I think there's a lot of writers everywhere. Just have to get them to come out. Yeah. And, uh, they're, yeah, they're all they're all in their they're all in their uh, houses. They're in their basements, <laughs> right? Exactly, and that's that's probably where all the, you know that's where all the best writing happens. But gotta get gotta get out every once in a while too. Um, you know, so I, I when I first started thinking of it, I really thought it was going to be me, a couple of my friends. I, I thought there would be a crowd, but I thought there'd be like ten people. But the first one packed out, and almost almost every one of them had lines out the door, uh, and it was very well received and it's I, I at the time you know before i started this i was really starting to wonder before i started poetry sucks you know there's two years that i was kind of floating around uh I, I was finishing my mfa at the time and i i when i was done with that and i was kind of in this limbo i really didn't know if i was going to stay in nashville uh where did you did you do your mfa in nashville uh, I did it in Kentucky, a place called Murray State. Okay. Um, low excellent. Re low res, excellent. or did you go there? Yeah. Yeah, excellent low res program. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, low res is such a great thing. But anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, um, so trying to figure out what I was going to do, if Nashville was the right place for me to stay, 
And this this reading series, Poetry Sex, is probably the main one of the main reasons why I stayed in this town because uh, there was such an enthusiastic response to it, and uh, you know it was. And I, I also it, it's it's hard in this interview kind of setting to. I mean, I, I I started this reading series and I curated it, but I sure as shit didn't do it on my own. There's a lot of people who are helping me. Uh, ben was from Third Man here was helping me, uh, suggesting ways to promote it and helping me find interesting people to bring uh, music. You know, I, I have a lot of music, uh, but it was different kind of natural music, and it wasn't it wasn't the usual bands. I would ask people if they had solo stuff that they want to do, or I I had uh, uh, Ken Vandermark, an amazing jazz player, come down from Chicago with a drummer and play at this little dive bar. I had noise bands and, and country bands and punk bands and solo people and folks who never performed live before, you know, all that kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of shook it up. I mean, that, I think that's maybe what was different about it is that... Uh, a lot of reading series, especially these days, have a musical element too. But the uh, the music that I was bringing in was usually a, a very fresh, something that hadn't been seen before. And that was another thing that I did with the the readers too, is that I would have someone from out of town come through and have a book out, very you know knew what they were doing. But then I would also find out that uh, this person that was you know, working as a software programmer or a chef somewhere or a bartender wrote too. And I would ask them to show me a poem or a writing, and if I thought it was good, I was like, why don't you read? So you'd, you'd have this kind of mix between people who were veterans and people who were reading for the first time. And that was something that I learned from touring, is that many times we'd pull into town and be the touring band that people were coming to see, but then there'd be this unknown local band that had only played a couple of times or never before in their lives and would get up on stage before us and just blow us away because they just had that chaotic energy of of doing it for the first time. And then you're like, and, oh, oh, shit, we got to follow these guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I saw that happen many yeah, times sure. you know, with, with, with the reading series where someone who... Um, never read before, just got up there with that kind of insane energy of, I am going to do this shit no matter what. And they get to the top of the mountain, and they succeed, and then whoever went off after them didn't have a chance. So I thought that was a, you know, I don't, I also don't want to get into, like, battle of the poets or battle of the bands kind of thing, but I, I, you know, for lack of a better metaphor or whatever, you know, that I think there is that kind of energy that happens. Uh, You know, someone does a great reading or there's a certain energy that comes from it and the person going after them has to you know has to reconnect with the audience somehow and, yeah. I, and I think that's that's part of the I think that's part of the dynamic but it was always a very uh, very friendly dynamic and uh, people who were veterans who came and had books out they recognize that someone just did a great job and they would always you know hey you're you're really good you should keep on doing this and that's exactly what the whole things about poetry sucks and yeah. I, I think people I think people really respond to that I had a, I had a friend of mine who went to one of them and she said you know I, I don't write I've never been to a reading before but she's like it was so she's like it was so neat so fun I've never stood in a bar in absolute silence and listened to one person talk in a crowd she's, you know she's like that was very different it, was, it felt like I was tripping 
you know, it, was, it was a completely different experience from going into a bar. And I think, I think that's, I, you know, I thought, yeah, you know, I guess that probably would be kind of strange if you had never been to a reading before and experienced that, you know, in a, in a bar that was known for being fairly rowdy. Yeah, well, uh, and the thing too, the thing too that strikes me is that first of all, you're not in Brooklyn where there's like a million reading series, so you know you're doing something that's like maybe not overdone in town. And then secondly, and I think this is maybe the important lesson is that there you are in Nashville. You're not sure if you're going to stay. You have these interests, you know, you have a literary bent, uh, and rather than kind of wait around for people to come to you, you just started this night and you found your people. And yeah, and that's you hit the nail on the head, and that's exactly what I had to do with my bands. Is uh, you know, being in Auburn, Alabama, you know, our we were our shows we were playing in kitchens. It was great shows, but uh, you know, if we wanted to put out records and go travel places and do things, we realized well, we got to get in this van and go do something. And uh, it was the same thing. I got, I enjoyed my MFA. I learned a lot of great things, but. Uh, going to Duotrope and submitting things wasn't working for me. I didn't like that style of doing things. I didn't like only being able to go see uh, readings in a library, university settings, which I still go to those kind of readings because they're still very important. You know, and I, I don't want to put down that part of of the language scene. You know, I, it plays a very good part in this and Vanderbilt here in town has some of the most incredible poets around. Well, Lori Moore teaches uh, fiction, right? she? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I go to that stuff all the time, but I wanted something else. You know, and I think we've done a pretty good job describing what that was. You know, I wanted somewhere we could have a drink, t- talk to some people, hear great language, and enjoy yourself just like going to a great show. You know, a great, great, great music show. Um, and I think that's that's what I try to and what's what, and what you said about Nashville versus Brooklyn. I absolutely appreciate that point. It's true. Um, it's something that's different that was here. Um, uh, I I do still do the series, but I I stopped doing it as a monthly because I didn't want people to get used to it. Right. I, I I want it to be something when it happens like oh there's another poetry section and now I I do it at different locations, but. But Ben was helping me out with it. He was participating in it. Jack came and saw it. Uh, People from, there are poet writers that are of all sorts that are involved with Third Man. They were coming out there along with folks from different things. And then uh, one day, Swank and I were having lunch, and uh, he said, you know, we've been thinking about doing something with a Third Man books type thing. And uh, we started talking, and I, let me back up a little bit. I, I had told him that I, thought that that there had been enough people good readers at poetry sucks from all genres and good music that i thought that i could actually do an anthology out of it and uh you know just regular diy rock and roll style i was absolutely planning on pulling out that greatest of all rock and roll labels called visa and just <laughs> run that through the the visa you know the machine charge that book and make up a name for my press and go for it. And I mentioned to him and asked him if he wanted to help me out on it because he's, you know, he's great at that stuff. That's his job up here is organizing and promoting and stuff. And he was like, she said, sure. 
a while after that, we're out to lunch, and he says, you know, we're thinking about doing Third Man books, and I've just been thinking about more. It's like, would you consider doing this anthology on Third Man? It's like, I know you've got plans for it, and you plan on doing it yourself, but would you let us do it? I was like, good God. He was like, you know, for one thing, you know, you won't have to use your credit card. All <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's, so well, that's fantastic. And, then, you know, I'd be flattered to do it with you with you guys because, you know, it's friends up here. And, um, uh, absolutely respected everything that Third Man was doing. I mean, I thought, well, what, what makes better sense? A label that puts out vinyl records that are supposed to be long gone. Uh, you know, now they're going to do poetry and literary fiction that, that supposedly is completely marginalized too so let's do vinyl and poetry perfect platinum selling uh you know it, it, i'd say all that stuff with sarcasm i mean that vinyl is on the ups and i think i think poetry and uh languages is, is also and uh we came out with an anthology called language lessons uh and it did well enough that they decided uh that third man would go uh head on into uh, books and hired me full time and I got to call my mom one day and say I had a nine to five job wearing a tie. She a, a yellow said, tie. A yellow wool a tie. Yellow, yeah, and that's <laughs> then I explained it was a yellow tie for a record label and that I was going to be publishing uh, poetry and fiction. There was a little gasp and she said Well that's great <laughs> I don't think it was the suit and tie job that she had once uh, imagined, uh, but still. Hey, uh, it's a tie. You can't get everything you yeah. want, Mom. It's it's and it's and like I said, it's a handmade tie. Come yeah, on, come on, <laughs> Otis. Otis. By, by a guy by a guy named Otis. Right. So okay, so uh, Third Man starts. I mean, and Third Man just for, for people listening who might not be clued in, like Third Man Records. Uh, you know, obviously that's the music label, Third Man Books. Uh, it's kind of like a, a factory, um, and I, I don't mean that in the pejorative. I just mean that like it's a it's a cultural center in Nashville. You guys are doing a lot of different things, and it's a business. I mean, it's a like. Can you explain it or describe it better than I could, just so that people listening can maybe get a visual on it and, and understand it better? Sure. We, we've we, there's there's two buildings here. Um, you know, Jack White started it. Uh, started out place to keep his store his equipment. Then they started kind of selling records, merch out of the front. And they started, so they ended up opening up a record store, and then they started uh, doing all the shipping. So they, we've got a, now we've got a big shipping area, receiving area. Um, uh, then it grew into let's let's start putting out other people's records. So it became a, a label. Uh, so Third Man Records is happening. Um, now there's a, a film series that happens every. Uh, called Light and Sound Machine that happens every month. That 16 millimeter film and independent film uh, make a, make videos here. Um, you know, it's it's Third Man Records. It's it's almost turned into uh, Third Man Arts. Yeah. Is there is there a performance uh, space? I mean, there's like a, I mean, you can record there, but I mean, is there like a a space for people to hang out? Like, can you have people there and and do performances live there? With an audience, yeah, yeah. Our our blue room is a venue. Uh, had a had a show last night performance. Um, um, having some comedians on Saturday night. We've had all kinds of rock bands that have played here. We've had poetry readings. Uh, had a couple of poetry readings that three hundred folks showed up for. Um, 
had uh, uh, art shows, um, and we all in this all in that room. Uh, and then hell, we had we had Willie Nelson perform in the warehouse one time. So uh, no shit. You know, this, everything from poetry by Samson Starkweather and Paige Taggart to uh, uh, country music by Willie Nelson. Damn, <laughs> a, a few comedies, a few comedians, and movies thrown thrown in between. Yeah, and it's only to I mean I imagine that the 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 ambitions are uh, large. Like who knows where it'll go from here? Yeah, yeah, you know that's it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, from place to keep uh, uh, amplifiers and drums to a record label and uh, press, you know, book press. Uh, um, shipping and receipt. I mean, it's 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 pretty neat. Yeah. Well, uh, and does, does your uh, does your economics background help? I mean, because like this is an interesting educational background you have. Um, you're the you're the poet laureate of your high school. You go on to play uh, what punk rock music and blues music, and you try you know traveling the world in a band, and then you're also teaching economics, and then you get your MFA, and now you're running a, a, a independent press. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's do you, do you find yourself? I mean, I can see how you would incorporate your live music experience and your musical background into creating poetry. Sucks, but now that you're uh, heading up this imprint, do you ever like fall back on old like uh, economics courses or anything in terms of making it a viable business? Well, I mean, I, I do do a, you know for every book that we do, I I, I do a cost breakdown of of uh, you know I figure out per unit of what we're you know, including promotion and you know, uh, uh, figuring out how. And I, I think, I hope every press does this, but I, you know, I, I guarantee you they don't. <laughs> well, presses, you should. Yeah. They need they need a, uh, they need a guy with an economics background. <laughs> but we, you know, I figured all that out, and you know, figure out. Uh, and we're we're distributed now by consortium who are wonderful wonderful book distribution but we also sell uh um direct to customer very important part of our business plan uh you know so we're we're in bookstores and but we're also available to the third man folks who who may not be accustomed to poetry yet you know that's that's what's very exciting to me is that uh you know to tell you the truth, Brad, there's been no plan. I, you know, when you when you tell me back those things that I've done, uh, I just kind of think, good God, how, you know, I can't believe I'm still walking. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's been such a such of a seat of a by the pants. Oh shit, experience. You know, uh, I mean, you know, like I said. Uh, I was in school thinking that rock and roll was going to fail, you know, and uh, and that was a, that was a tense time. I mean, it's tense when you don't know what yeah. your future is going to hold. Like, how did how, did you really uh, struggle? Like, what was how, how bad did it get? Uh, you know, I, I was. It was more of a mental thing, and I, I don't think it's that. It was more of a mental struggle for me than anything. I, I don't know if it's any different from anyone else. Or just going, what in the hell is going to happen tomorrow? You know, uh, and in a band, it's like, when are they finally? When are people going to finally be tired of this racket that I make? You know, uh, uh, you know, every show, just hoping to God that people are going to buy T-shirts, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just just hustling after you know. 
go up on stage, try to be the biggest rock star you can be. Then, of course, load your own amps off stage. Then go <laughs> sell your own T-shirts and hustle and and make deals for people. And you know, oh well, for you, I'm going to sell this for seven dollars rather than ten. Thinking at least that's three more bucks we can put towards you know changing the oil in the van or whatever. You know, yeah. but uh, but 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 now I I don't if 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 there's anything I've learned uh, is that. You know, we'll survive, and uh, I am—I'm not afraid about what the future is about Third Man Books. I'm not afraid of fucking Amazon.com. Um, I'm—you know—I'm—I'm I'm not afraid that poetry is marginalized in some fucking corner that's only for literary journals, great literary journals, by the way. They only. Two people, two hundred people read. I mean, I, I hear that kind of shit all the time, especially in my MFA program. I mean, they have guest speakers come, and it was just always bleak and darkness about uh, no one basically saying no one cares about this anymore. No one cares about you. All they fucking want to do is play video games. You know, there's this constant um, third man video games. I just, I just yeah. found your next business. <laughs> okay, good idea. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, but I'm not afraid of any of that stuff. Uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, I, I know that people want to hear racket. They want to hear buildings, something that sounds like buildings being made. I know they want to hear my gentle grandfather playing amazing gentle jazz. Um, and I know that poetry is going to last, uh, you know, Beowulf has outlasted us. It'll, it's outlasted everybody around it. It's outlasted everybody here. It's going to outlast every business school in America, every economics degree. You know, it's going to out, outlast third man records. You know, there's always going to be uh, demand for language and, uh, uh, and I, but you know, but it is at the same time because uh, you know I hear what you're saying and I think you're right. I think it's all there's also business realities. You know, you have to be a profitable business if you're going to stay in business. Like the money's got to be coming from somewhere, and like I imagine, um, you know, Jack probably started up a lot of this stuff. He's been really successful, but at some point, the books have to sell. Um, you guys have an unconventional business model. You're operating kind of independently and making it up as you go and doing a lot of creative think uh you know creative things in terms of how you package and stuff like that like do you uh like for example like one thing that occurs to me that you guys might be able to do better than um you know traditional publishers in New York City is that you might be able to um you know like do the packaging different you know you guys tend to be really good on design and stuff like that but you also could uh, leverage the success that you have with the music label on behalf of the books? Like, have you thought of packaging things or doing anything to kind of uh, make the businesses conjoin somehow? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, uh, the, uh, I mean, having a great design team, design uh, department, uh, Ryan and Nat and Trent, uh, is just... Uh, I mean that makes things so much easier. Uh, I do I do judge a book by a cover. Uh, sure. I think everyone's I think everyone should judge a book by a cover. If if someone doesn't put care into the way the cover looks, uh, then that's a big mistake. Right. Uh, so we 
we we're newbies at this book game, but we're not newbies at at design. Um, our I think our first efforts have looked pretty good. Um, uh, and it'll only get better. It's it's certainly something that we. Uh, and we, and we have a reputation for it, like you said. So we have to make it look good, you know. Uh, you know, it's if we're going to venture, if Third Man's going to venture into these books, they better goddamn look good, right? Uh, and and that's that's what we're trying to do. And as far as as far as making the music and the book part work together, uh, yes and no. Uh, you know, we we really want this press to be a book press. Um, I've we've been getting submissions. Uh, love submissions. We're going to start an online journal uh, over the summer and be be taking open submissions. But most of the submissions we've we've received are music oriented, and we don't want only music oriented submissions. Well, like people uh, writing like rock and roll road novels and stuff like that. Right, right, or or about certain kinds of guitars or. Uh, uh, you know, garage bands or whatever, you know, and all that's great. It's, it's great, but if if we did only that, then we wouldn't be the press that we want to be. You know, we we've started off with three books of poetry, and I think that's, uh, you know, a, a fairly bold move. In fact, maybe it was a little boldness mixed with naivety. <laughs> but, uh, 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 you know, we that's what we wanted to do. Uh, we're we're currently looking for a. Uh, we'd really like to do a book of fiction in, in 2016. That's what we really want to try. But but I'm I'm, I'm kind of wandering a little bit. Our first thing that we did this anthology that I was telling you that kind of grew out of poetry sucks uh, language lessons. It's there's a 300 plus page uh, hardbound book that's uh, um, prose and poetry. Uh, and then there's also a double album that goes in there, and uh, the double album has jazz and jazz bands and punk bands and country, you know, all the different, mostly folks who performed at Poetry Sucks, so it was all those genres that I was telling you about, all in this double album, also with uh, some recitations that uh, you know, we we uh, we have Jake Adam York reading a poem, um, Paige Taggart, Samson Starkweather, Reading poems, um, uh, we so we if, if there is you know if if the, if the medium is the message, and if there is a something that epitomizes of what we're doing with third band books, you know it's it's on this medium that supposedly uh, yesterday's news vinyl that isn't. I mean we're selling thousands and thousands of units of vinyl every week. Um, there's poetry on there. There's all kinds of genres of music, and it all flows together seamlessly. So, and but like the really like the the the, fi- the financial driver. And the reason I ask is because I just I know that a lot of people who run indie presses listen to my show, and uh, I run an indie press. And um, but you know, like when you talk about Third Man and you talk about building a business, like you have this Third Man Records, the music label, you, you're selling enough units to kind of finance the other parts of the business. And I think. Am I correct in saying that? Because, um, you know, maybe for people listening and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the, the diversification of media is uh, possibly the way to go where you're doing more than one thing. And if there's one 
part of the business that might be cooking, uh, it can help, uh, you know, like a rising tide lift all boat, you know, lifts all boats kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't argue with that. That's now third man books is an LLC that stands alone. So we're, you know, our, our cost sheet is on its own. Our, our products have to, our books have to sell. They have to cover their costs, and they, you know, we're for profit. Right. But uh, especially for, you know, if you look at us as a startup business, then we were financed by the, you know, Third Man Records for sure for these first couple of books. But they're they're making their, you know, the language lessons is almost sold through the whole thing. Now, now right. what we have, now what we what we do have that that. Other press, you know, the, the advantage that we we enjoy here, and uh, I think it's a model that I've seen other presses doing for sure. Um, I've already mentioned Black Oceans, uh, Birds LLC comes to mind. Um, they do a lot of they do a lot of readings. Uh, you know, Birds LLC at blah blah blah, or or party presented by Black Ocean at. You know, blah blah blah. Uh, so they're out there in the community. They're doing stuff. You can see them. You can see their their poets. They're they're engaging with uh, with an audience. They also have web pages that engage, and people can purchase from those web pages. That's what what Third Man has started off with is that we have an audience that is interested in what Third Man does, what we put out, uh, and this this audience has been. Third man has gained their trust. Um, we respect them. They respect us. There's there's probably an implicit handshake deal between us and the, the third man crowd that we're going to do our best to give them something that they're going to like, and they're going to not be scared to try new things. So we have somebody that was curious about third man books already before we started, you know, uh, and and those and we're keeping those people engaged. Uh, so that's something about our business model that might be a little different from, you know, I uh, to once again draw a parallel with the music uh, industry. You know, I have I have friends and myself participated on in starting labels, you know, putting out singles. And uh, what can unfortunately happen in the DIY world is that you press up 500 singles of your favorite band, who's the best band in the world, and if there's not a way to get them out there, and if you don't have an audience for them, then 490 of those singles end up <laughs> uh, under your bed or in your closet, you know. Uh, so that's uh, that's a trick. You know, that's the trick, isn't it? Um, is to, to find, uh, you know, it's... It's a chicken and egg thing. How do you how do you get an audience for your press or your record label uh, if you don't put out books or records? But then, how do you get these books and records out in the world if you don't have you know the audience for them? So, well, I mean, you got and you have Jack White. I mean, he's a celebrity. He's a big. He's a huge rock star. That that's a way to get people. I think their initial interest. But then, you know, then the books have to speak for themselves. You know, that only holds people for so long. And then you've got to be doing your own thing. And you've got to be. Um, I think getting people's interest on the merit of the uh, books themselves. Yeah, and that's you know what's that saying? It's such it's it's so, it's so true. Such a great saying is that you can 
you can always get people up to the bar, and you can even buy them a drink to get them to get to the bar. But uh, are they going to stay with you? You know, right. are they going to are they going to talk to you for an extra hour? Or are they going to buy a couple more drinks? You, you know, you you don't know. So, right. Right. Uh, well, so what about what about plans like in terms of publication schedule? Like you guys have started off with poetry, you know, you haven't come out of the gates publishing like twenty books. You know, you've kind of taken things slowly and been, um, you know, been uh, careful about what you publish. Like, do you have uh, a number of titles that you guys have set as a goal to publish each year, or is it still open ended? Or we're we're setting it at five titles. I mean, uh, you know, Third Man, Jack White aside, this is a small press. Right. I mean, we we have we have some advantages that to begin with that other small presses may not have that we're still a small press, and we gotta we have to stand on our own and we gotta get our own legs behind us and uh, five books I mean it, it actually feels like quite an endeavor uh, at at this point but that's it's and and we're also like I mentioned earlier we're gonna do this um, uh, this literary journal. Um, What's it gonna be called? It's a good question. If you think of something, let me know. Soon. Yeah. What about third, um, third man? Oh, you got to come up with something besides third man. Yeah, you know that's that's, that's fourth, fourth man. That's, <laughs> that's that's the challenge. Yeah, but I, I but this the journal is not only do I love journals, and I think it's a way uh, go, uh, journals, especially online journals, I think are is a great way to see what's happening right now. You know, a lot of books that are coming out is what someone wrote a couple of months ago, or six months ago, or a year ago, but. You know, online journals. What's interesting to me is is that they're a little bit more immediate, and uh, it also gives a chance for us to, once again, I, I love using that word, being engaged with people out there. Uh, well, and it's also like know, most, a, it's like most, a, most, I was going to say it's like a farm system too. You know, like one of the great things about paying attention to what's going on online in the literary world is that. You know, one year you're reading something by somebody and you're saying, like, damn, that's pretty good. And then uh, two years later, their novel comes out and it's a bestseller or they're making a lot of noise in publishing and you see them break through. It's fun to kind of watch that process unfold. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, that's something to certainly do uh, pay attention to. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like this journal, too, is going to give a chance for people to... I mean, there's a feeling of participation, a little bit more direct participation. The, the titles that we have coming out now are solicited. They're 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 folks that I uh, that I've known that I'm I'm fans of. What are um, the? What can you say? What your what's on your slate? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, you know, you, you already know about John Kostucky. Um, uh, we're working on. I'm, when you called me, I'm in the midst of uh, fishing up a Frank Stanford book, which is pretty amazing because Frank Stanford is a poet who, I mean, that's, I guess it's my desert island poet. You know, if you're on a desert island, who would you, what movies? It's always funny. if I feel like anyone who's ever going to be stranded on a desert island, they're going, or they're going to have like a small collection of great movies, records, and books. Cause, <laughs> Because it's always that question of, if you're on a desert island, what books would you have? Well, Frank Stanford would be one of them. I've, I've been a fan for a while. And the yeah. fact that I've ended up working on this this book is, is pretty amazing. Uh, so that's coming out soon. Poet Samson Starkweather's coming out uh, in the fall. And then we have 
that'll probably wrap it up for 2015 and then this journal that I'm talking about. And then uh, 2016's rolling uh, rolling around the corner. So that and you don't, and you don't have and you don't have your novel yet. We don't have our novel out yet, but but we're looking. You're looking. Okay, so if somebody listening wants to submit to you guys, what's that process look like? Like, do you would you prefer to receive uh, submissions directly from authors? Do you prefer to receive from agents? Do you care? I uh, don't necessarily care, but uh, my whole existence and music and language or whatever uh, has been, uh, you know, certainly seat of the pants and interacting with people and I, I guess I, I don't know if help me out is right I've always lived by a very much a DIY kind of ethic and I know that that term gets thrown around so much and is overused so much but uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is I, I personal is usually the best um, book submissions at thirdmanrecords.com that's what the that's the email address Yes. yes. Book submissions and just uh, and be personal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. And so it's a, and then once you once you flip into 2016, uh, does that mean that you're going to try to publish uh, fiction beyond just one novel? Do you have a balance? Because I know you've done poetry. Is like is 2016 the year of fiction, or is it still is going to be a mix? <laughs> well, we have a book about baseball that's planned for 2016. So, yeah, if if, if People follow if if folks that are listening uh, are familiar with Third Man Records, they know that uh, it's a mixed bag of of music that we put out. But somehow it all kind of hangs together, some sort of golden thread, and that's how we plan to do the books too. Is it's not going to be any certain genre or any certain um, plan. Uh, you know, it's just. It feels like now, after doing, after having three books of poetry, that you know, I love, I love poetry, and we're going to do more poetry. But it's it's time to time to do something different. So that's why we're looking for uh, something for fiction. And then, what about like building authors? You know, because I think authors always dream of having a home. You know, like a band wants to have a label that supports them and you know nurtures them throughout their career. They have a creative home and a place that's going to. Uh, help them realize their dreams and get their work out into the world. Like, do you guys have a vested interest in the authors that you publish to see them through beyond just one title, or is it kind of a one-off thing and then you revisit it on the next thing? Well, I mean, we for the authors that we're putting out now, we're we're doing promotion, we're doing publicity. Um, they're going to get royalties. They're going to get free books uh, from us. You know, we're. We're taking care of. We we want to do uh, the best job we can for them, for sure. And uh, I think, ask Jonica. I, I I hope that he will say that we have. We've been trying our best. I think he would. Um, now, as far as the second part of your question about growing and nurturing an author, uh, giving them a home, so to speak. Uh, you know, as as a author of myself. I, I want that as a as a band. That was something we were cer certainly always striving for. The hard lesson that I learned playing in a band is that you find a label, you feel like maybe this label is going to take you to the next level. That you have a home with them, and that they 
they are invested with you and they have the resources to take you to the next level. And then all of a sudden you find out that that's not the case. It's a, it's a very, uh, it, you know, false horizon. It's actually running into false horizons is a very damning feeling. Uh, so what we're, what we want to do first, uh, before we start signing multiple book deals or giving people a home, uh, is that we need to, we need to grow our press. Uh, we feel like we need to grow a little bit before we extend those kind of offers. Uh, Jonica is a, is a one book only deal. Um, uh, the Stanford thing is, is a unique thing that we're doing in collaboration more or less with Copper Canyon Press, at least with Michael Wiegers that works because they put out that wonderful definitive book, What About This, uh, which is, you know, the Spring Stanford collection. Um, Samson, uh, Starkweather will be a, a one-off title. Because in all honesty, like I said, uh, we know we've, we've got some things that we can offer, but we got to get our legs first before we, you know, I, speaking as someone who's been burned uh, when they f- I thought we had a home uh, with the label and ended up having to get a lawyer and all <laughs> kinds of things. Uh, right. Because of that, I, uh, you know, I want to make sure that we get our house in Oh, here's a good more metaphor. Speaking of past poetry, uh, I want to get our house in order before we invite anybody in to live. Gotcha. Uh, but it certainly, it certainly is something that we want to do. Uh, it is something you know. We want to discover writers. We want. There's people that I want to publish right now that have never had a book out. I have a list of people who I think are amazing uh, writers that I want to that I want to do. Uh, that. Ben wants to do that's fans of but it would be irresponsible for us uh, not only to our press but to them for right now now a year from now you know who knows I feel like we're making pretty good strides uh, I want to get to that point faster you know uh, I want to get to that point sooner than later that's sort of the point yeah and then in terms of uh, you know once you have an author in your stable and you're putting their book out i mean i think like one of the one of if not the biggest challenge that presses run into whether, whether they're big or small is how to cut through all the noise out there and get people's attention so it's like it comes down to marketing and publicity and um, you know you guys obviously have people who are doing that for third man are there are there ways in which you guys market your books that might differ from the norm like are there avenues and um, you know experiments that you guys have uh, conducted to get the word out well, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Is that um, you know because of who we are and that we do have already a, a relationship with the music press. Um, you know, when we when we put out language lessons, there was a wonderful response to it. You know, the um, uh, Rolling Stone did a thing, Spen did a thing. Uh, um, several literary sites did mention it. Um, there were some reviews that happened, but you know we also don't want the Third Man Records to dwarf what's going on with Third Man Poets and the Poet. You know we don't want. You, you see what I'm saying? Sure. Is that that we don't want that we don't want the poet to be in the shadow of of you know the Third Man. 
know, we don't want it to be, well, Third Man Records has poet John Kostucky. We want it to be John Kostucky on Third Man Books. You know, so there's there's a little bit of a tightrope walk there. Now, oh, you know, what's the saying? Every all the less, uh, the only bad publicity is an obituary or whatever. You know, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not complaining about that connection at all. It's just it is it is something that we have to navigate. You know, yeah, you got to uh, build out but, your own but, identity. Yeah, and, and 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 what we do have maybe a little different is that we do have uh, the ability to reach out to not only a literary press but also a music press. Um, and we do have, uh, maybe some opportunities that come up, uh, and we were able to get poetry in at the Newport Jazz Festival last year. Uh, and some of the, some of the folks who worked at Newport, you know, that, that festival has been around for so long, but a lot of the old timers there said they never had poetry at Newport Jazz Festival, which really surprised me. Uh, you know, but we, you know, we were able to get a side stage in there and we had a full-on poetry reading at a, at a major you know music festival so See, i think that sounds that, like a, that sounds like something that needs to happen more often like why not yeah and, yeah and that's that's certainly something that we're going to try our best to take advantage of yeah uh, you know but but on the flip side you know we have we have those opportunities and we'll take them uh you know any Anybody that wants to invite us up to the bar, we'll be there. Yeah, right. <laughs> to, to go back, go to go back to that little saying. <laughs> you know, we'll 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 try we'll try it as much as we can. But on the on the other side of things, uh, we are a new small press, and uh, breaking into uh, the liter- literature scene and, and getting into the people to pay attention to us there is is you know it's it's something that uh, something that we're striving to do. Well, I certainly wish you luck with it, and uh, I think you're off to a good start, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and I'd be very interested to see, uh, you know, what happens for you guys in the in the months and in the years to come. Yeah, well, thanks uh, thanks for talking to me. I I feel like uh, I'm not sure if I've talked this much about myself in a long, <laughs> long time. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, uh, yeah, you know... Uh, I've, 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 there's, there's one thing about interviews is that there's there's a chance to have a captive audience to talk about yourself and what you like, and uh, <laughs> uh, I hope that uh, I hope it worked out well and that I didn't make an ass of myself. No, I think, uh, I think you it, did great. I, I've done it before, and I will do it again, and I'm not afraid. <laughs> no, well, you and you and me both. I'm on this show every week, dude. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right, Chet. <laughs> All right, thank you. Okay, folks, there you go. That's Chet Wisey. Go check out Third Man Books at thirdmanbooks.com. You can follow them on Twitter, at Third Man Books. You can also follow Chet Wisey himself. Uh, His handle on Twitter is at Chet Wisey. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Thanks as well to Metallica. I used the song one there in the uh, monologue. I hope that's okay. Lars. James. That song freaked me out as a kid. The video for uh, one. Back when people actually watch music videos. 
Don't forget about the app. This uh, podcast has its own official app. It's the Other People app. Did you know that? This podcast has its own official app. The app is free. Get the app wherever you get your apps. Download it to your device. When you do that, the most recent 50 episodes of the podcast will be waiting for you free of charge. You get 50 episodes for free. And then if you want to stream the archives, get access to every single episode, you just sign up for premium right there within the app. It's very cheap. It's a great way to support the show. Please do that. For the love of God. If you want to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. Send word. Let me know what you think. Tell me a story. Yeah, I'm sure David Foster Wallace would have uh, really cringed. He would have hated it. <laughs> not a guy who loved. It was not a guy who. He was very wary of media attention. And yet, at the same time, I think desirous of it on a certain uh, level. It's always complicated with people. Like at a certain point, I think like really like like hyper intelligence just becomes a kind of paranoia. You know too much. Everything can be taken apart. You can take apart everything. Nothing is pure. I know people like that. It's not easy. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying it's like... You tell, like, you're like, oh, look, the sky is blue. And they're like, actually, it's indigo. And then, then it becomes this whole thing. At some, you know, at some point, it's nice to just sit there and be like, the sky is blue. It's fucking blue. Please remember that Sigmund Freud and Sherlock Holmes were addicted to cocaine, and that Nietzsche, who famously proclaimed that God was dead, was buried in a coffin adorned with a silver cross. Uh, actually, I want to stop. Sherlock Holmes was a fictional character. Sigmund Freud was not. just want to state that. So Sigmund Freud was actually addicted to cocaine. Sherlock Holmes. Was Sherlock Holmes real? <laughs> if he was, my apologies. I always thought he was just a character. Thanks to uh, Chet Wisey for talking to me. Go check out Third Man Books.